CR101radio.com, podcasts, and more. Welcome back to another episode of Christian Reconstruction 101. I am your host, Jeremy Walker. On today's episode, we will be discussing the question, Is sexual purity more important for men or for women? You can find this episode and more on our website at cr101radio.com forward slash Christian Reconstruction 101. I want to go ahead and get started here. This is an important question because we're continuing our discussion. And on this podcast, we have to stay on different topics at times. Today, we're going to talk about not necessarily marriage, as some of our other podcasts have. You can go back and listen to those on our website. But we're going to talk about sexuality, which also goes hand-in-hand with marriage, of course. So the question we're going to be touching on, is sexual purity more important for men or for women? I think this is a very important and loaded question. Why is it loaded? Because people do view things differently, and they really shouldn't. Christians should not have differing views on this subject, and it shouldn't be difficult either. One of the first things that people do not think about and don't do is that Christians are, lack of a better term, supposed to create a Christian community, Christian families, the bedrock of society. And one of the bedrocks of society is the relationship between men and women. And sexual purity is on the very top of that list. So it's something we should talk about. It's something we should have established in our minds. To start with here, let me remind the listeners, if you have not, if you're tuning in the first time, if you haven't tuned in before, I'm a father of 11. And my oldest child is almost 21. And the youngest is about four and a half right now. And so these topics, as far as forming marriages, as far as helping my children find spouses and all the stuff in between, is very, very important to me. And if this fits you, if you're a husband and you have a wife, you have a wife, you have a husband, you are a parent, you have children, then all these topics are going to be very important to you. Sexuality in itself is very important. Fidelity is very important. Fidelity in spouses, fidelity in children, sexual purity in spouses, sexual purity in your children. Now, it should be something, which we're going to start here, which is should be standard, I guess is a good word for it. But it's not standard, and that's kind of the weird thing. The standard is Christians should have a certain culture. When you think of the children from Christian homes, you should be thinking of a product of some sorts. In general, if there is a Christian culture because of God, God's commandments and all the rest in between, we should be having a similar 
product that we're trying to produce. And one of those things is revolving around the concept of sexuality and what that means. I want to start with one thing, Deuteronomy 23, 17 through 18. Quote, There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor sodomite of the sons of Israel. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow. For even both these are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Unquote. Now this is a very important passage, and I think this kind of sets the standard for what Christian families should be looking for. Christian churches, Christian parents. You are not going to have, it should be understood when you use the term, I'm a Christian, that your children, the product that you're producing, are sexually pure children. That should be the goal. That should be the product, but it's not. That is not what we are producing. Now, it's one thing to have a first-generation Christian family. You know, a Christian family who does not have a history of Christianity or upbringing, standards of living, and all the rest in between, where sexual purity was not the norm. It wasn't taught. It wasn't emphasized. It wasn't pressured. It wasn't necessarily sought after. And so it wasn't something that was produced consistently or even at all. But in the Christian communities, once you get past that first generation where you're now going into, we were pagans, but now we're Christians. We are now going to, we lived in the shadows of the old. We lived in the paganism. We lived in the do whatever you want, do what feels right, humanistic generation. But now we're a Christian. We are a Christian family. The father is a Christian the mother is a Christian. The family in general is claimed to be Christian. And this goes into a broader subject, which we won't touch on right now, that the subject matter is that if one person in that family, it can be the father or it can be the mother, if they are converted and are now Christian, that family is now considered to be a Christian household. And this goes back, if you want to go back into some of the other stuff we talked about, about divorce and all the rest, if one person is converted as a Christian and the other spouse is not yet converted, yet happy to stay with you, not to undermine you, not to try to teach your children against God and his commandments, you should stay married. However, new convert has a spouse who they're already married to, does not wish to do that, wishes to undermine everything that God says about raising children, teaching children, or about the subject of sexual purity and all the rest, this is somebody that can be divorced and probably should be in a lot of ways. However, the subject matter we're talking about here is we're discussing what the family's drive is. You now have a father and a mother, a husband and wife, who are now Christian. They're going to have children now. What is their goals? What is their standard? What kind of product are they going to try to produce in their children, specifically concerning the subject of sexuality? Well, here in Deuteronomy, it kind of sets the stage for what God says Christians and their children and their standards should look like. Number one, 
Christians should not have daughters who are known to be promiscuous girls, sexually active, sexually promiscuous, nor the boys, both. Christian young men and Christian young women should be known for their purity. They should be known for their sexual purity where they do not engage in sexual relations with anybody that is not their spouse. This should be the standard. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-4, we have, quote, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, unquote. Now, much of the New Testament is dis, uh, directed at new converted Christians, the various cities from Rome to Thessalonica to all the stuff in between. And what they're doing now is saying, you used to live a certain way. You used to have a certain standard for yourself and for your children. But now that you are a Christian, you now have a new standard. You are now supposed to act and live in a certain different way. In this case, covering sanctification, the growing in the obedience to obey God's commandments, you're supposed to abstain from sexual immorality, fornication, and also know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Is Simply put, you're not sexually promiscuous. You have a new way of life, a new way to act. In 1 Corinthians 6, 15-20, we have, quote, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It makes it very clear throughout the Bible that we are supposed to have a Christian culture, Christian standard for ourselves, our newly converted selves. We're supposed to be moving towards more and more sanctification, which is moving away from disobedience to God towards obedience to God. We don't obey God so that we may be saved, but we obey God because we have been saved. There's a very big difference there that most people do not seem to understand. You are not saved from your sins so that you may continue to live in them, but to overcome them. And that's what sanctification simply is. And the concept of sexual purity is extraordinarily important, as cited here in 1 Corinthians 6. Another passage, Colossians 3, 1-7, quote, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake 
The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Unquote. See, the Bible doesn't hide the fact that we were breaking God's commandments. In fact, we lived in them. It's something that we all, as Gentiles and non-converted Christians, it's something that we held to. It was our standard of living. It was normal for us. It was seen as absolutely natural. Young people having an affection towards each other is not a problem. Perfectly okay. Young men and young women having these attractions is natural. And yes, it is normal. However, that is supposed to lead, of course, to marriage, which is God's standard. It is not meant for man to use his body as he sees fit. God owns the man and the woman. And this means that we are supposed to, number one, if we are Christians, we are supposed to now subject ourselves not to our will, but the will of God. And this includes sexual attraction and sexual purity. We are supposed to abstain from fornication and adulteries in particular if we are Christians. Now, non-Christians, that's not their standard. Let me say that again because I know that somebody's going to be like, what? It's not their standard. The Bible is very clear that their standard is that they cannot be subject to God's law. They won't let themselves be subject to God's law. In Titus, the first chapter, it talks about how their mind and conscience is even defiled. This means no matter how much you try to tell somebody that they should live a you know, pure life, that virginity is good and marriage within the confines, uh, sexuality in the confines of marriage is where it's supposed to be, they can't agree with you. They might agree with you at some points in some ways, just out of pragmatism, maybe sexually transmitted diseases and the whatnot, but they can't do it because God said so. That's not their standard. They can't do it out of a heart that is bent towards obedience to God and wants to do that. They're not being sanctified. But the problem is that Christians don't have this as their standard. They don't view their daughters and their sons' sexuality as important. The vast majority of people send their kids to government-run schools, which will teach that sexual uh, action is up to the consent and the decision of the individual. You get to decide when you want to engage in such activities, what type is right for you, when it's right for you, and all the stuff in between. Where for God, there is no such concept as consent. The only thing you can consent to as far as sexuality is concerned is you get the chance to consent to marriage. And once you decide you want to become married, that then gives you the ability and right to have sexual interaction with another human being. Beyond that, it's not there. This is a very simple standard which most people just can't figure out. Now, that's the broad, you know, 30,000 feet view of the question, is sexual purity more important for men or women? Well, it's equally important for both. But I would say this much. It's not equal because a lot of people would put pressures on the women. They'll see the man as the stud if he can have sexual conquest, kind of like the Casanovas, the Don Juans, the James Bond, debonair men who can get one woman to the next. But if they see the woman do the same thing, well, that's the slut, that's the harlot, that's the whore. She's a loose woman. She's a strange woman. She's something to look down upon. 
But the guy, well, he's a stud. Well, they're both wrong. Very simple, very clear in the Bible. Both are evil. Both are wrong. The discrepancy comes where which one is more important. It is much more important for men to abstain from sexual immorality than women. That sounds very strange to most people. But there are harsher penalties and punishments for men, not so much as for women. Men and women are not held to the same level of culpability in the Bible. Not even close. I won't bother going into all of it now. But suffice to say is that a man has a greater culpability and responsibility to abstain from sexual immorality than a woman does. It doesn't mean she doesn't have some kind of a you know, responsibility to do the same or that she's allowed to get away with certain things. She's not. It just means men are more culpable, men are punished more harshly, and God holds man more responsible than he does women. So it is much more important for men, in particular, to fight against this concept, to ensure that they themselves are sexually pure. Men are held to a higher standard and are supposed to be more responsible and more culpable than women. Now the question comes down, let's get to some very simple specifics here, answering this little simple question. Because Christians do not have a culture of purity. They just don't. They think they do. They think somehow this culture of purity means daddy's giving little girls promise rings and this kind of stuff. That's just silly and it's just stupid. It's not biblical. It's just little cultural things that people came up with. Dating your daughters, this stuff is, you know, fine if you wanted to go out and dance with your daughter and stuff like that, but you're not dating your daughter. This is so stupid. You're not protecting her heart. This is so stupid. God is the one that she is responsible to, not you. That is where the main focus has to be. She's not keeping a promise ring on so that she, you know, keeps her promise to her daddy. She's not dating her dad so she can have her heart won by her daddy and then by her future husband. The dad is dead. The dad teaches God's law. The dad has a standard and holds her accountable to it. And then, of course, does the same thing for his sons, even more so to his sons. The reason why I have a problem with all this purity culture stuff, uh, purity rings, dating your daughters, and this kind of stuff, is because where is this stuff for the sons? Where is the dad being so responsibly um, conscientious where they're concerned? It's, it's really not there for the most part. It's just non-biblical fluff, just, just fluff. And the vast majority of the people that engage in such things do not actually produce a culture of purity. It just does not happen. Look around at the churches and the Christians in our world. They do not have a standard. They, you don't look at them and go, oh, well, obviously their children are sexually pure. No, they're not. In fact, if you talk about the concept of the necessity for sexual purity, you're almost seen as a hater. It's ridiculous. So the concept that Christians have produced a culture of purity doesn't happen. They don't do it for their daughters, and they sure don't do it for their sons. If anything, the sons are let off the hook and are allowed to really kind of be their own man kind of a thing. And if they go out there and they seduce some girls and stuff like that, well, that's seen as being okay because it's so in the wild oats. Christians are still holding on to the vestiges of paganism and haven't let it go. One thing I want to touch on here before I finish up 
isn't just pointing out the fact that we don't have this culture, which we should have. We don't have a purity culture, which we need to develop as Christians. We should be able to produce that. But what does it mean to treat somebody like a whore? What does that mean? Or a whoremonger. What does that mean? Producing a whoremonger. A guy being a whoremonger and a girl being a whore. What does that mean? Well, people have a large array of things that they think people are allowed to do. Let's say a young woman meets a young man. They like each other. Well, if they go far enough down the road, what are they allowed to do? Can they touch? Can they hold hands? Can they hug? Can they kiss? How much are they allowed to do without being married? Now, you want to start a fight? Start talking about this subject right here with pretty much anybody, and you're going to start a fight. Let me ask you a better question. Ready? Okay. You're married. You have a husband. You have a wife. Whatever. How much are they allowed to touch somebody that they're not married to? Hmm? How much? Hold hands? Hugging? Going out by themselves with each other? Kissing? How much are they allowed to do with somebody who's not their spouse? Well, if you have the least bit of Christianity in you at all, and some, you know, most pagans would agree with me on this as well, because they at least have God's commandments on their heart, none. Just none. You're not allowed to do those things at all with anybody other than your spouse. Now, I remember talking to somebody. They said, well, but you have to remember, Jeremy, these people are not married. So they don't have a commitment. Oh, really? <laughs> they're not married. They have no commitment. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not adultery because they're not married. So that means a young man can have the affections of one young woman, hold her hands, hug her, kiss her, and all kinds of other stuff, just not have sexual intercourse with her. What about rubbing on her? What else can he do with her? Can he touch her private parts? Top, bottom, all the stuff in between? Where is the stopping point, really? And then, of course, if there's no commitment, why can he not just do this with one? Why can't he just do multiples? After all, he's not married. She's not married. Why can't she go on a date, unquote, quote, a date with somebody every night of the week and do all these things with all these same guys? Hold hands with seven different guys in the week. Kiss seven different guys in the week because she's not married, and neither is he. Well, that's ridiculous, Jeremy, because their heart is the heart has got to be there. They have to have affection towards this person. Oh, affection changes everything. So if you have affection towards somebody, it changes what you're allowed to do and touch and feel with another person. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about that. Somehow I I missed that part. Oh, that's right, because your, your, your consent means it's okay. It just kind of washes it all over. Your emotional moment makes the actions better, right? Oh, of course, it doesn't make it better. Okay, you're right. See, the problem is people want to try to toe the line, try to find out where it's okay. Well, it's okay if I say it's okay. How about saying it's okay if God says it's okay? And we're not allowed to touch anybody that's not our husband or our wife in an intimate sexual manner ever. See, it's, fornication and adultery aren't just because you have what we call sexual penetration. I guess is a good word for it. It's anything that is of a romantic or sexual nature of any sorts that is inappropriate from somebody who's not your spouse. 
Period. Simple. End of story. This doesn't start just because you are, quote-unquote, said I do and married. It starts way before that. Another question to ask yourself. What exactly do you think your son's allowed to do to somebody else hmm? before he becomes a whoremonger? To what degree is this? How many girls can he touch and in what ways before he becomes a whoremonger? Your daughter. What does she have to do to get the label that the Bible gives as a whore? What exactly is that? I mean, to what degree is the line that you're crossing now when she allows somebody to do something that now has crossed the line into what is considered to be whoredom? Where's the line at? Well, for me, I think it's sad. I think it's sad that Christian men and women, uh, fathers and mothers, would allow their children, their sons, to use women, sully them in so many ways, and think it's okay. I think it's horrible that Christians would allow their daughters to be sullied and think it's okay. It's sad to me that you have to almost argue with people that you don't have a right to touch somebody in a sexual way, intimate way. That's not your spouse. Why is this an argument in Christian circles? Why is that? Why is it we have to try to debate about the concept? Why is there people arguing that it's okay to have sexuality or what you can and can't do? Why is it, if you hold a view, like I do, that you have no rights to another person that's not your spouse, so you should not be touching them at all in a sexual or intimate way until you're married? Why would that be controversial in Christian circles? It is because Christian circles are infested still with paganism. That's why. It's very simple here to read the Bible and say that you are not allowed to be whoremongers and whores. The Bible is full of I just used a couple passages. You have to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. In what manner is a man touching a woman that's not his spouse, possessing his vessel in sanctification and honor, or her doing the same, or you allowing them to do it? How is it that it's okay for you to do these things? That you're supposedly somehow giving up fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. But you're not going to be sexually pure. Why are you trying to find the line of how much you can do before it becomes a problem? It's very, 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 very simple. I think the Bible is overly clear. The wedding bed is undefiled. That's it. If you go and touch somebody else in an intimate or sexual way, you are committing horrible, grievous sins, unless that's your spouse. And then, of course, it's absolutely condoned and promoted, heavily promoted. But just keep your hands to yourself until then. Where are the men that are fathers? Where are the men that are sons and brothers that allow their sisters to be used and abused by other people? Where are these people? Why do we have this? We are not men anymore. 
we're not Christian men anymore. No Christian man is going to sit back and allow these things to happen. He will not let his son soil and sully someone else. He won't let his daughter be soiled and sullied by anyone else either. We need to stop holding on to the paganism and the humanism of our day and grab with both hands that which was very simply understood in the Bible, that the purity of our young people is of the utmost importance. It's what separates us from the pagans. What we do with our bodies resembles what's in our hearts. And if you cannot say very easily that nobody's going to treat my daughter like a whore and I won't let her become one, no one is going to tell me that my son is a whoremonger and I will not let him become one. I'm going to create a Christian culture, starting with my family and how we associate ourselves, what our standards are, what we promote, and how we act with others. Sexual purity is a Christian characteristic that does not exist outside of the Christian community, but it is a bedrock of society and is the absolute bedrock of the Christian faith. Those that do not hold to a very simple concept of sexual purity cannot and should not under any circumstances claim to be Christian for any reason. Is sexual purity more important for men or for women? Well, it's important for both, but more so for men. You will be held accountable for your sexual sins far greater if you're a man than if you're a woman. And if you are a godly father you will be held much more accountable for not raising your children to understand the importance of sexual purity and not taking the steps to ensure it. I want to thank you for joining me today for Christian Reconstruction 101. Going over the question, is sexual purity more important for men or women? For this episode and more, you can visit our website at cr101radio.com forward slash Christian Reconstruction 101. We're going to be discussing a lot more subjects as we go forward. One subject to the next that I get to that I think is important for people to contemplate, but mostly as a Christian father and as a Christian parent and husband about what is important for us. I hope this has helped you. I hope this has given you something to think about, specifically what our duties are. Christian culture, that's our responsibility to create. And we don't create it because we're trying to, necessarily. We create it by simply doing what God has told us to do. So thank you for joining me. This is Jeremy Walker, Christian Reconstruction 101, signing off. Thank you.